Tactics. This is your 40k podcast that focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, Mr. PD Pob, and with me I have one regular co-host and the one, the only, Reese Richard Robbins of Frontline Gaming fame. Reese, say hi. Hello. And then I also have Sean Morgan. It's this guy. What is going on? So, if you're listening to this episode, you're probably listening to it later on, possibly even early February. We're recording this one early just because of uh, scheduling, um, and we've got a lot going on in January, and uh, we're, we're kind of an episode ahead because we missed an episode. So, if some of the stuff we talk about is a little bit dated compared to some of the conversations going on around uh, what's happening in the 40 keepers, that is why this episode is being recorded on January 18th. Uh, now, the reason why that might be relevant is because of the topic for today's episode. Today, we're going to be talking about the ITC, that is the International Tournament Circuit, uh, the thing that restarted with a whole lot of elbow grease love blood sweat and tears and has evolved into the international tournament circuit that we all know and love today with over 50 tens of thousands of registered players um i'm not sure if if we've hit the six this six digit mark yet probably have no um how many people actually participate in the itc uh we don't know but my my conservative guess is that there's three times as many people that participate as register yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a massive amount of people. Uh, there are thousands and thousands of events of ITC events every year. We have super majors, conventions, they're all on board. Uh, we, even GW has ITC events uh, over in Nottingham too. Um, I know some of their events have had the ITC tag or something. Maybe maybe their coordinators have run. Anyways, it's it's big. It's massive. It all revolves around a ranking system and getting gamers together to play tournaments. And play Warhammer, Age of Sigmar, 40k, all those other fun games in tournaments and just a lot of camaraderie, ranking, fun, all that good stuff. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what that is specifically, how to join it, um, what the ITC should mean to you. Um, We're also going to maybe spend a little bit of time uh, quashing some rumors or stigmas about the ITC. And then on top of that, we're going to talk about the direction the ITC is heading. So we have a brand new edition. On top of that, we haven't had an update to the ITC uh, this year at all, um, mostly because we had the LVO, we went, you know, we were getting ready to go, and usually we roll out an ITC soon after that. However, COVID happened, and then everything kind of just paused. And so the ITC has gone relatively unupdated, with the exception of what GW has done with the 9th edition mission pack. Uh, and so... Now people might be talking about uh, the what they want to see out of the ITC, what changes they want to see. Um, we see the end in sight, and I know the community at the beginning of the next year is going to start, or the beginning of the next ITC season is going to start talking about uh, what they want to see or what changes they want to be made on top of the changes that might need to be made. So that is what we're going to be talking about today. Before we jump into that, of course, this episode is brought to you by FrontlineGaming.org your one-stop shop for all tabletop goodies, accessories, the secondhand shop, which is now selling board games, RPG books, although less RPG books than board games, on top of some cool stuff, so check that out as well. Also, you can buy your new Snow 3 mat and GW stuff. All right. Main topic. Reese, every time I try to explain the ITC, I just end up parroting what you say, 
So for someone who's listening to this episode and is new to 40k, maybe they haven't been to a 40k tournament, but they've been painting their army for a year, they've been enjoying what the 40k community has to offer, they've seen this buzzword thrown around a lot, the, these three letters, the ITC. So assuming that you're talking to that person, what would you tell them about the ITC and what would you say it is? Yeah, the um, the ITC is a coalition of tournaments from around the world that have banded together in order to mutually benefit from all using the same tournament format, more or less. There is some variation, but predominantly everybody decided to use the same format and help each other to grow their events, increase the amount of people participating in organized play, and then to submit the results of their events for what has become a global ranking system so that players can see how they rank up compared to other players in games, workshop games from around the world and also regionally. Yep, that, that's basically it. And um, why don't you explain the uh, some of the ranking systems and kind of what goes along there as well too, because I think that's a lot, what a lot of people are interested in initially. Yeah, and that's why we... That was one of the main reasons why we started the ITC was it's fun to have a leaderboard. You know, it's it's fun to have friendly competition with your buddies and also with people from around the world. So that was one of the main reasons why we did it was so that you could just see how you rank up. And the more events you go to, the better uh, your score generally is going to be. And um, that's kind of it in a nutshell. It's changed over time. But the way we structured it was to incentivize people to go to bigger events and to go to more events and be more engaged in their um, community. And sort of like a one-line explanation of how it works, the bigger the event that you go to and the better that you do, the more points that you get. Yep, uh, that's basically it. And uh, on top of that, uh, Rich alluded to this a little bit, uh, the there is a lot of history to the ITC too. It has evolved and changed over time. Um, there are rules that are no longer around. Um, and so when you hear people talk about the ITC format, uh, I think that definition has kind of changed over the years. Would you say that the ITC format exists? Is, is that even something you can call it now? Or is there still an ITC format? And if there is, what, what would you call that? What would you define that as? Yeah, so the ITC format began, uh, it, it sprang out of a vacuum in the tournament scene for a standardized rule set. Back in the old days, GW was not engaged with the community almost at all. And so going to a tournament and playing a, the game was really difficult because there were no answers for FAQ questions and everybody was playing a different version of the game, right? So every tournament was very much its own thing with its own house rules and its own missions. And it made it difficult to go from one event to another because you were basically playing a different game. And without knowing what to expect, you might end up bringing a list that didn't work or there might be some really wonky missions, which some people think are fun. Generally, they're not popular. Um, but you know, some people like them and I'm not, I'm not dissing them. It's just, uh, not conducive to the growth of an overall community. 
So the ITC format came out of uh, an effort to standardize the experience so that people going to an event had a good idea of what to expect. They understood in advance what the FAQ questions were going to be, generally how judges were going to rule things, generally what kind of missions they should optimize their list for, et cetera, et cetera. And over time, it morphed based on player feedback. So one of the things that made the ITC work is it wasn't us telling everybody how to play the game. It was us providing a format that people could change, uh, also that people could give their feedback on. So like everybody had a say and we would vote on big rules changes and we would go with the majority. So everybody had a voice, everybody was a part of shaping it. So the community kind of forced the evolution of the ITC into what the community as a whole wanted it to be. And that, that was what made it work. And we also provided a, a really big support system for event organizers to provide them everything they needed to get going. And that, that was kind of like the fertile ground from which it, it, it grew out of was being deeply involved with and listening to the community of gamers that were participating in it. Right on. Now, uh, you, you might have heard Scari come in here. So we had some technical issues at the beginning of the show. And we lost Scari. We thought he was never coming back. However, he fought his way out of the warp into a stream station on camera. And here he is, Scary from Scardcast. Scary, say hi to everyone. Salutations, world. I am returned. All right. All right. So, Sean and Scary, um, you two have been a part of the ITC for basically as long as I have. Um, you know, I've known you both for years and years. We've been recording for a few years now on top of playing for at least five, so probably longer. I don't want to date myself. We've been around a while. We've been around the block. And the ITC has obviously evolved and changed a lot since then. What have, what have been some of your favorite aspects of the ITC uh, that you've enjoyed? And also, uh, for newer players looking to hop into the ITC, what are, what are some things that you would, uh, what are some tips you would give them? Um, both of you are, of course, top 100 ITC players. You've been around the block. You've done well out of events. Um, and then before we get to that, I have a patron asking a really good question that I think I should answer right now. The ITC season starts and ends... Oh, it starts at, at the end of January and uh, begins at the end of January, the start of February. Basically, the weekend of the Las Vegas Open is when it ends, and it technically starts the Sunday of with the Las Vegas Open RTTs. And so that's that's actually when it starts, too. So if you're looking, uh, if you're like our patron Bobby in the chat, who is looking to get into ITC play and tournaments, uh, that's that's when it starts, too, as well. And um, I... The Las Vegas Open was canceled this year. Uh, however, uh, Reese, I believe those dates still remain the same, right? Yeah, it the date changes a little bit, but it's usually the last weekend of January. Last weekend of January. All right. All right, sorry. Sorry, John. I didn't mean to cut you off there. But um, anyways, uh, what, what does ITC mean to you? Uh, what would you? What are some advice you'd give some new players? Uh. As far as what it what it's meant to me, um, I, I think the the really huge thing that ITC has done is kind of like Reese alluded to, like it's it's helped unify the community. Uh, you know, before ITC, we didn't even you know, always play the same point totals. You know, you'd have your fifteen hundred tournaments, your your eighteen fifty, your two thousand, your seventeen fifty, your sixteen fifty, and and those were all just kind of 
scattered randomly about everywhere. Um, they didn't use the same FAQs because GW barely even put those out. Um, there, there were so many things that there was just absolutely no standardization or even commonality on. Uh, and ITC has helped a lot with making it so that all of the community is playing the same game rather than playing 300 different games. So for me, personally, the back in the day, I don't know if you folks remember this, probably do, but Games Workshop, at least in Canada, had like the whole of Heroes series where they had like a ranking system for players uh, that went to like mm -hmm. GTs and, you know, tournaments and stuff like that. And I just remember looking that, you know, was it 15 years ago and being like, oh, that'd be so cool to be ranked and, you know, be considered one of the top players and stuff like that. And then when the ITC came around, I, w I was I was ecstatic. First of all, you know, there was no governing body that was like, here, well, other than like the Adepticons or like FAQ, which then like Reason and company kind of like took over in that sense. You know, it was like a communal effort to sort of balance the game in a way that um, I think the biggest thing was to prevent sort of like, you know, the game stalemating into like a very like unfun experience when there was certain situations that people could easily exploit to just get like a crazy advantage in game. And it was really cool to not only be able to sort of like say, hey, there's this body of, of like like-minded gamers that's looking to you as a player to you know be able to go out, have some fun and enjoy yourself and also is trying to do what the best they can to sort of like balance the game. Because at that time, there wasn't really any sort of like push from Games Workshop. At least it didn't feel that way to kind of get involved with that aspect of the game. They, it seemed like they were a very like um, collection-based company. And they kind of just made like rules for their miniatures on the side. And in that sort of like dark time, we needed sort of a guiding light, you know, and all it took was somebody to say, hey, look, let's get together. Let's set like a format. As long as we all agree on this format, you know, you can go to any tournament anywhere and play like the same sort of like homogenized like version of the game. And, it, you know, and it wasn't perfect, you know, it's like nothing is perfect, but it was it was it was such a great step in the right direction. And then on top of that, starting to rank players internationally and having that like you know, team building, where not only were you, like, trying to, like, build yourself as a as a person, like, and rank yourself in a competitive environment, but now you had your team, and, like, you could, like, you know, compare yourself with people from all over the world, and I think, I think that just really appeals to, like, the human psyche in a lot of ways, and it created such an, a global connectiveness, and I think we all really craved it at that point, because it was all very, like, you know, localized bubbles in that sense and it sort of like burst a lot of bubbles and really just kind of started interconnecting people from all over the world and it was awesome like the the process of it has been phenomenal and i love it as for advice i'd say you know you just need to go out and play like honestly you want to go to your first tournament what's the best piece of advice like pay for your ticket and show up you know what i mean like that's literally the best thing you can do if you want to go to an event yeah, it really is. It's really easy to actually join the ITC. Um, you really just need to uh, go find your local 40k event. At this point, I would say most players, uh, especially if you live in the US, uh, most players can find an event within a few hours of, of them. Um, I've rarely found a person who's reached out to me and said that they can't find a local ITC event. Um, 
or one that's kind of near them. And I know a few hours might seem like like that's not local. However, <clears throat> if you look at like if you try to join other circuits like uh, college League of Legends circuits or Magic Pro Tour, Magic GP scenes and stuff. All of those events don't happen very close to a lot of people as well. A lot of people have to travel for those events too because it's so difficult to organize thousands and thousands of events into one organizing body. Like, it's really not done. And on top of that, GW has taken a notice to that. Now GW has taken an active kind of um, participation into the ITC. Uh, They've obviously brought on ITC uh, TOs and people as playtesters. Uh, they have modified their missions to be more in line with what traditional ITC missions were in the earlier days of the ITC. Um, they've, in general, they've grown um, around the idea of competitive 40k, they, and it's been great. Um, and so, the ITC is awesome, super easy to join. You really just need an email address, uh, and you need to find a local ITC event. And if you need help with that, you can email me at frontlinegamingpdpab at gmail.com. That's Frontline Gaming, my name, P-E-T-E-Y-P-A-B. I'll also link it as well, too. So, no excuse if you want to join the ITC. We can absolutely get you on board, get you hooked up. But, with all of that community outreach, with all of, all of those events going on, there is uh, a lot of, of chatter, a lot of opinions, a lot of um, people who feel like the, the direction is going one specific way. So a lot of voices. Uh, and the beauty of the ITC was that every voice could be heard. You could, you know, message the ITC people. You could email us. Uh, you could talk to your local TO, and they'll relay it up the board. Um, it's all very customizable. Uh, and so because every voice is heard, uh, there are a lot of different opinions and and things thrown out thrown at the wall that may or may not necessarily work. So that brings us to the second part of the main segment, which is what we want to see uh, in terms of changes for the ITC. Uh, I know I have a couple changes that I want to pitch to Reese, uh, or I guess questions that I have uh, that maybe we could like talk about uh, right here on the podcast. However, Reese, you're at the forefront. You're in the front line in the trenches, taking all of the ITC grenade question bombs. What are some of the most common things that people have asked you that they want to see changed about the ITC or, or concerns they have or, or whatever? Well, normally it's a deluge of requests, suggestions, um, never-ending tweaks, which is all good. That's what makes it fun. It's a very reactive and responsive system. This year, um, there has been not many suggestions or questions. Uh, What we have got largely has been in response to um, a couple of events where people were doing things um, not really ITC related, but just kind of more, it was more like procedural stuff. Like how do we score a a certain type of event, et cetera. This year has been really quiet for obvious reasons. So I don't have a super good answer other than people questioning, you know, like the ability to try and run two GTs in one weekend and and procedural stuff like that. Um, Normally, it's almost it's overwhelming the amount of feedback we're getting at any given time. This year it's been rather quiet. And I imagine part of the reason might also be that there's not a lot of tournaments going on. Uh, I know I know there are some things that um, that I thought of, but I didn't get them until very very late into the season. 
but they'd been an issue since ninth edition began. It's just no one had brought them up because there were so few tournaments. So it definitely, with more people participating and playing in the ITC, you are probably going to get a lot more questions. Oh yeah, I, I have no doubt as vaccines roll out and things relax, it'll go back to the same level of chaos in regards to communication that it usually is. Yeah. All right. Now, Sean and Scar, I want to open the floor to you two before I I have, I ask Reese some of my questions. Uh, what are some things that you want to see change to the ITC this year? Uh, things that, that are ninth edition related, um, think concerns and questions from the community that uh, you've kind of talked about. Maybe we could get clarifications or um, obviously no promises. This isn't this isn't uh, ITC law. This is just us all having a conversation on a podcast, uh, but maybe getting like uh, an idea about what Reese Reese's head state is about questions or things like that. Uh, I go ahead and, and start this. Um... So the biggest suggestion I would have would be with the format on team development and team sizes, I think. I think that I think that's a conversation that we had in another whole episode where we discussed, you know, how big teams should be or whether or not they should be like pro circuits and like not pro circuits and stuff like that. And I feel like that would be something that would be worthwhile to discuss at, uh, as time goes as well. That'd be like the biggest one. In my opinion, we yeah. we did have some chatter about teams. Um, you know, gamers by their nature will try to game any system, and the teams, which was the teams, were intended to encourage people to have a support network to go to events, and then also to avoid playing your friends when you get to an event that you travel to. And some teams have you know used that to their advantage to avoid trying to set up a. Uh, a scenario where they don't have to play other people on their team and then they selectively choose people to be on their team that are really good so that they can avoid round one pairings. Um, so yeah, there, there's always room to, for improvement, especially on something like that that was never intended to be used to gain a competitive advantage. Yeah, the, obviously that's that's a thing. I don't know if there's been like a ton of I guess there has been some stuff about it in the past year is, is some people were a little unhappy with that but it, it feels like a relatively small thing in terms of like what people see the ITC as and what most people care about I, I have one that is like less of a like this is something you should change and more of uh, something I'm curious where we stands on um, obviously, GW is has put out a mission pack that is pretty good at this point, um, and they've made some significant updates to it, so it appears they're willing to kind of continue tweaking it as the, the years go on here. Do you feel like ITC is at the point where they would potentially release their own missions? or tweak the GW missions if you feel like things are a problem, or is that kind of an option that has been swept from the table at this point? Yeah, so obviously in the past, the ITC missions were like one of the biggest part parts of the ITC. And, you know, we, we created them as uh, a community. Like I would draft them based on tons of feedback, and then we would fine tune them. As a part of becoming more involved with Games Workshop and having them being more present in the ITC and providing 
support for not just our events, but for other events. They know that now they come and they stream at events. They send some of the rules writers, the people that make 40K come and they judge or they play and they get direct feedback from the players. So as a part of getting that set up, one of the parts of that arrangement was that we all play GW official mm. missions. But intrinsic in that is that they are listening to what everybody has to say. So right. basically the new GW mission pack, which anybody who's ever played in the ITC sees a ton of obvious similarities. Mm-hmm. That is the ITC mission pack now okay. is the GW mission pack. And we collectively as the ITC and especially as event organizers within the ITC have a direct line of communication to, to GW to air grievances, uh, provide critiques, suggestions, etc., and they listen. Yeah, that's well said. You know, and I think that's a huge part of like the, you know, GW itself, who is the company that makes the game, you know, and that's, and that's really going to help like moving forward in a lot of situations where we want to like, you know, have feedback heard and things like that. Right. And all in all, I think it's uh, like a huge plus. Yeah, it's definitely a benefit. The thing is like having, it's pros and cons, right? Like, when when we as a community had direct control over the missions, like that's obviously a plus from our perspective. But looking at making the tournament scene, the ultimate goal of the ITC has always been to grow the tournament scene and to get more people playing more Warhammer more often and for a longer period of time, right? Like that's the number one goal of the ITC. It's not to have control over the way people play the game. So with that goal in mind, having official missions that are in the book that a new player, because remember there's new people starting the hobby every single day, having them be able to take the game that is that they bought and play that and go to a tournament and play that is obviously better. It's more accessible than having a third party ever evolving document that they need to also go. That's another layer on top of the, official game right so it's it's in everyone's best interest to play the game as it is presented and sold by the manufacturer and then the compromise being that now we have input on it our input may not be to the same degree that it was in the itc there's a a, there's compromise there that needs to be um considered but on the whole it means that there will be more people participating because the barrier to entry is lower. Yeah. So speaking of uh, GW official, um, what are what is the ITC going to do about the mission pack? I actually I should I guess I should rewind that question. Uh, the, the GW mission pack is constantly evolving, like we mentioned. However, there are still some issues with it that aren't nece- that can't necessarily don't mesh well with some tournament play. So a quick example is like the instance of buys. Uh, the GW mission pack doesn't really talk about buys. Uh, if a player has a buy, how many points do they score? Um, uh, on top of that, there are other there are going to be other obstacles that GW has uh, that just naturally happen. Um, and this isn't a knock on them. It's just it happens to any game developer, to be honest. Um, like if, for instance, there was a secondary objective that got interested in the book with a major typo. 
um, where we would simply was unplayable as is, or if in the future they release something that's a typo and they don't FAQ it in time for a major ITC event, because essentially GW doesn't work at the same pace that events do. Right, there's an event, ITC event every single week, and oftentimes now there's a major with you know 100, 150 people every almost every week now around the world, and so GW obviously can't fix and change these things at times, and that was kind of a flexibility that the ITC had in the past uh, that GW no longer has. So I guess my question for you is, um, for in terms of not just like the question of what to do with a buy, but those kind of hot fixes that need to be addressed before events for ITC events is the ITC is still going to step in there and modify rules um, or is it is it just going to be up to the TOs? So that is a really good question and yes a big giant company like GW cannot move at the same pace that a nimble smaller organization like the ITC could. Um, they do have uh, direct representatives now like Mike Brandt, who formerly ran the Nova Open, he was really involved in the ITC, and he's now the the head of events for Games Workshop. So they're they're, it's not super unresponsive, like not as slow as one would think, um, but it's not as quick. So obviously, in a situation where um, you have an event coming up and there's an unresolved rules dispute, then it it. it it's completely reasonable that you as a TO can make a call on it for your event. And we do have the ITC TO group on Facebook where anybody listening, if you run events in the ITC, you want to join it. It's the best resource on the web um, for resolving these kinds of things, for bouncing ideas off other TOs, business, all that stuff. Um, That's what it's for. And there are people from GW in there, including Mike. Right. So let's say you have an event coming up. There's a rule that's literally unplayable as written. You're stressed out. You don't really know what to do. Pop in there, ask. You're going to get feedback almost immediately. And you can make a call for your event that is going to be pretty, pretty close to. um, It's not like a sanctioned rules change or anything, obviously, but it's going to be pretty close to what the intent of the rule is supposed to be. And then, and then what will happen organically is everybody else is probably going to use the same ruling for their event until an official FAQ comes out. But typically speaking, the official FAQs are pretty responsive. They do usually come within two weeks of a release. So the window in which you might fall in that little kind of dead space is pretty dang small. Yeah, and actually, I'm really glad you mentioned the ITCTO group, Reese, because I can't stress enough how important a resource it is, not only for I, for TOs, but also for the ITC. I would argue that the ITC has morphed from being a community, you know, of just a small group of people um, to literally like this group of TOs who really do make judgment calls like the. And I'm actually really proud of our TOs as well. Uh, they they're, of course, you know, it's, it's a large form. Think of it like a I call it like the ITC House of Representatives or, or you know, it's kind of where some ITC legislation happens in terms of um, uh, commonalities between uh, events. So think, for instance, like um, the most recent example I can think of is like the Orion dropship 
um, issue where, where there was definitely a gray area and GW didn't really hadn't really responded to it. So a lot of TOs, we all talked about it in the big group. Um, you know, there was there was debating and, and a general consensus was kind of reached. Uh, and then a lot of events around the world, you know, events in like Sweden, all the way to Florida and to California, they all basically use the same ruling. And players who had that draw that uh, ship were treated to a uh, fair and uh, well, fair is arguable, but they were treated to the same rule, right? So if they'd wanted to travel to another ITC event, theoretically, it would have been the same ruling regardless. So that kind of general consensus, uh, I think is really cool. Uh, and the TL group does a really good job of reaching that and talking about buzz issues because um, it's, it's constantly, you know, there's people constantly in there talking about stuff too. So I'd say that that's kind of where the, the ITC is morphed in terms of like a legislation or, or rules um, perspective. Yeah. In the old days, you know, the first year of the ITC, there was 450 participants. So that's easily manageable, right? As in, as just, just me, like I could literally answer everybody's questions. But then over time, as we hit five figure participation, that's, that's untenable, right? Like one person, even with um, some support staff, it's not possible to answer all the questions. It's just, you just can't do it. So now, like you said, it's basically like a House of Representatives, so to speak, where the TOs sort of represent their local uh, constituents or participants or or whatever, and they basically advocate for um, the interests of their event, their their participants, and it's a it's like a forum, right? And I mean that not in the sense of like the on the internet, but like in the old days, right, with like Plato and Socrates, not as perhaps intelligent as those guys, but we do our best. And, you know, you debate and come to consensus, everybody agrees, and then that's it. It it makes it much easier to navigate these complicated issues and come to a reasonable solution. So if anybody wants input or has an issue, uh, you can reach out to your local ITC regional rep, which you can find that list on uh, Frontline Gaming, or just talk to your local TO. And then basically the issues trickle up the sort of pyramid and then uh, decisions get made relatively quickly. Yeah. And I, and I will say too, we'll add that there's no, nothing official gets passed. For instance, if all of the ITCTOs tomorrow decided to ban Tau, that doesn't mean that in your region Tau are necessarily banned. Uh, your TOs, the TOs still have the ultimate agency to decide what is good best for their regions. Uh, and so TOs are, are allowed to drift away from issues like that, um, especially, you know, if, if people in their region are, do play a different way. Um, now, obviously, there are exceptions to that. There's still, you know, no cheating. Uh, there's still rules that they follow. But however, when it comes to those open interpretive rules that uh, in- inevitably end up happening, uh, your TO does ultimately have the final word, too. So we're, we're not like a, an actual legislating body. We don't, there's no executive right. power. Each TO is the captain of their own ship, right? Like, they're the one that's doing the work to run the event, often taking a significant financial risk to run their event. So they are not beholden to us or Games Workshop or anybody. They can run their event however they so choose. Um, and if, you know, obviously if they're making decisions that make it not fun, their event won't succeed. But, um, you know, don't, don't go to an event and start telling the TO how to run their own show based on the way you've heard the ITC does it or whatever, 
um, provide suggestions and, and constructive criticism in a polite way. But um, ultimately, the person doing the work is the one that gets to make, call the shots. All right. Now, Sean and Scott, do either of you have any more questions? I don't think I have any questions, but that is exactly makes that makes sense. And you know, a lot of people kind of shy away from getting involved because I know there's like a, a fear of of being a part, like of 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 um some, like people have their own fears or their own reservations or you know previous expectations or you know like i don't know they had like a bad experience one time or something and you know the the if you're still in that sort of like boat where it's been a while you know the the the, the game the community the people who play competitively like it is really really matured and changed over changed over time all right, perfect. So we're going to take a quick commercial break right now. When we come back, we're going to actually do two sets of patron questions. The first set of patron questions is going to be about uh, ITC changes or changes that they necessarily want to see or clarifications. And then the second round of patron questions is the patrons of the day. Uh, and of course, if you want to sign up and become a patron, head on over to patreon.com slash chapter tactics. And we are back. All right. First up, we actually have a really good question. And this is something that, that I've been excited on, excited to see the ITC grow on. Um, we've got a patron asking about uh, making states, uh, United States, um, uh, a searchable option for players when you're looking up rankings. However, <clears throat> instead of getting into specifics there, Reese, are there any plans to basically update the ranking system obviously as it gets larger and larger it's it's going to be harder to manage uh there are going to be more people there are going to be one of people who compare themselves to their peers um as more people you know countries join uh are there any plans to improve that at all or or any kind of things you can tease us with um we're always trying to tweak and fine-tune the ranking system to be more reflective of what the players want uh the challenge is always that the players want infinitely parsable data like i want to see who the best imperial fists player in georgia is that didn't use allies right and parsing that kind of data at the scale that we're at is really challenging to do but we continuously improve and we're giving more and more information to the players that they that they crave because the, the data is really fun to look at and play with. So yeah, we're, we're always trying to improve that. It gets, it gets a little... If we, if, if we did everything the players want, wanted, it would be like pretty much impossible to do it all at once. It's just, it just too much. Um, but you know, at first we had universal rankings, and then we, had, we broke it up, the USA, into regions. And then we added countries. Um, we're not down to the state level yet but we are tracking factions and in some cases sub factions um all that kind of fun stuff so uh i guess long answer to a easy question is yes we're always trying to provide better and more accurate and more specific feedback but it's it's um it's a an incremental process right like through iterations we keep adding more and more as we go all right uh, next, uh, patron Dan wants to know about the ITC packet. So is there going to be an ITC mission packet, and then would it be possible to add current GW missions to the packet? No. 
the mission packet is the, the tournament book from GW. And the FAQ are the official GW FAQs, with the exception of, like we discussed, sometimes there are questions that are unanswered that need to be answered. And that will be handled on an event-by-event -event basis, even though they're probably going to get the, their ruling from the ITC as a group. We aren't going to put out official missions or um, FAQs. We've got another. This is actually one that we've that you and I and and multiple other people have talked about uh, many a, a long alcohol-filled night. And that's a, the idea of setting up a Hall of Fame or ranking system. Maybe something even going as far as to establishing like a pro circuit or something. But I think uh, setting up a Hall of Fame or anything like that is that something that you think I see could do in the near future, or do you think we're still kind of far off from that? Yeah, so one of the goals for, um, as, as you mentioned that we've discussed, something I've wanted to do forever is every season you have your season ranking, right? So everybody starts fresh, and then you finish up at the end of the season, and we sort out that year's or that season's um, top players by overall ranking, regional ranking, and faction ranking, and team ranking. Um, but we really want to have a lifetime ranking that would be more like an ELO score. This year, like in 2020, we will probably would have gotten it done, but obviously the wheels came off the bus for the world. <laughs> so didn't, didn't really get any of the stuff done in that regard that we were hoping to. But the idea is that you as a player can build up a score to become, you know, like as in chess, a master or a grandmaster of 40K. And then that could be like your lifetime achievement score. Because uh, what happens with a lot of players, a lot of competitive players, is you, you go on this trajectory of getting better, better, peaking, really being just kicking butt. And then you kind of like taper off. You're still a really good player, but you just, it's not that same like hunger for it that you do it at when, you, when you're kind of at your peak. And it might come back, you know, some players, they, they stay up there for a really long period of time, but it would be nice to be able to be recognized for what your competitive career was in total, right? So that's that's 100% something that we want to do and that we will do. Um, it just, it didn't happen in 2020 because, you know, there was just too much other stuff going on. Yeah, I actually really love that you brought that up. Having a, a being like the number one ITC player is is very hard to sustain. It's almost non-sustainable. Uh, compare you compare that to any sport or any kind of competitive things. There's very 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 few people who can sustain a high level play and be the best at what they do for an extended period of time. It's so difficult. Uh, and, and you know, having an ELO system would be super cool. On top of that, being able to compare to past players or players in their prime or players at their peak, uh, you know, looking at uh, how Alan Bajramovic, you know, scored, how dominating he was versus, you, you know, how, how well Brandon Grant did three or four years later down the road. I know people want to see that, um, you know, immortalizing the rankings and making, you know, adding just more stats. It's all stuff that I think people would love to see. Uh, and then on top of that, because we track factions, we can also track factions and how they've ebbed and flowed along the years across multiple editions. We can truly see how dominant Eldar were across 
three or four years. And if, if in the future, if we get uh, people who compare Space Marines to Eldar back then, how exactly war- dominant were they from an ITC perspective? All that good stuff. I think I think all that would be really, really cool. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and then uh, Patron Alex wants to know, um, he actually wants to change the ITC. Um, he wants Age of Sigmar, the Age of Sigmar component of the ITC to be a much bigger deal. Tell more people to play. <laughs> so, you know, flipping C aside, um, by what I can tell, and my market data is not raise, like laser beam accurate, but Age of Sigmar is about one-fifth the size of 40k. And not just in the ITC, like in total, from what I can tell, my data is not 100% accurate, but it, it is my business to try to figure these things out. So I would, if I was an Age of Sigmar player, I would expect to, it to be about 20% of as big a deal as 40k, just because of the number of people that are playing. So the best thing to do is if you want it to be a bigger deal is to, to try and recruit people to Age of Sigmar, and the best way to do that is to be enthusiastic, polite, and to be an exemplar of, uh, and an ambassador of the, of the hobby. And it's like that for a lot of things, right? Like, there's a lot of things that 40k doesn't have that games like Magic the Gathering do have, right? Other tabletop games, and that's because they have larger amounts of people investing money and time into those games. Right. There's a reason why the NFL has a Super Bowl, but the CFL Super Bowl, you, you don't even know when that is or what that is. Or even if there is a CFL Super Bowl, you have to Google that. Right. And that's uh, the National Football League for the U.S. and the Canadian Football League for those for those of you who uh, don't under, don't watch American football or keep up with it. Uh, the point is, is that where the numbers are, that's where you start seeing the nicer and cooler stuff. Uh, and it's, it's just like that. That's almost like a fact of life. Right, uh, go. It's in our education, our our corporation, capitalism, countries, all that stuff too. Uh, the more people you have, generally, the more stuff you get. It's not hundred yeah, percent, but that that's why one of the number one goals of the ITC has always been to grow the community, because the vision from the word go was to see people playing 40k in like a stadium, right? To have it be a big deal that people get excited about, like we've seen in esports. Now, video games are dramatically bigger than tabletop games. So to your point, it's easier to get there faster. But that was that's the vision, right? Like that's the goal is for uh, tabletop to be that exciting and fun. And the only way to get there is to get more people involved. And that's why the number one goal has always been recruitment and retention. Like how do you do that? Make it fun and engaging and people will... Will, will participate and stay participating because it's fun and they want to. Right on. Now, before before we move on to the end of the show, Reese, is there any final things you want to tease us with about the ITC? 2021 will actually have events. <laughs> here, here, everybody. Here, here. <laughs> I hope. Uh, all right. Uh, and Scarry and Sean, did you have anything else you wanted to ask? Any final statements? Now is the time where forever hold your peace. I just want to say, on behalf of all the gamers, Reese and everybody who's been involved in the ITC and everybody who makes this go, like, on behalf of all of us, that just play the game. Like, thank you. Because um, it has been such a roller coaster ride the last, like, 10 years, I want to say, in terms of just playing the game. 
And this year hasn't been easy to say the least, but it's really, really cool to know that like there are people out there who are working to make sure that we can play games, uh, little toy soldiers. And it's awesome. So thank you. You're very welcome. All right. Uh, we're gonna jump. We're gonna jump into the patron questions now. Uh, these are really good. Uh, not that they're normally not good. However, these I found particularly funny. Um, basically, I didn't have a topic for this episode when I started recording uh, at the beginning of the day when I asked the patrons what questions. So I just told us to. I just asked them to ask us anything, and they delivered for sure. So, if you want to ask us questions, of course you can head on over to Patreon.com/slash/ChapterTactics. You can ask us questions that we answer live on the air. First up comes from patron Robert. How does GW fix the Imperial Knights Codex? Rules like OPSEC and balancing, and now that knights don't benefit from literally any forms of cover. How, how, do, how do we fix knights, team? Go they need chapter to be team. either cheaper or more durable. Right now it's just it's too easy to slam a character or... Uh, even just like a medium-sized combat unit into one and kill it in a single turn. I think you, I think they also have gotten left out of the buff train. Like, every other faction in the game has units that buff other models in the army. Knights don't have that. And I think it's very much to their detriment that they don't. Are you telling me the knights relic where, uh, I don't know, Circanus Rex... Giving reroll one to hit to armagers isn't a buff bot. Oh my gosh, tight of broken. <laughs> when you can, when you can get D three shots that are worse than a las cannon out of that guy, why would you take anything else? Yeah, I think. Yeah, his gun is pretty underwhelming. I think knights basically need like a mechanic that kind of brings them in line to ninth uh, edition. So the ability to interact with the table, the board state, do actions, you know, take, like, count as multiple models, yeah. taking objectives, you know, that's the kind of thing that's really going to make knights relevant. Like, having a knight that counts as, what, 20 models or whatever on an objective, you know, that's that's definitely something that will make a difference with the gameplay rather than just, oh, this knight's going to, you know... um. You know, just sit there and die because I've got white scars and my white scars kill you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're you're paying like four hundred fifty points for a model that doesn't have obsec, can't beat most like real hammer units in melee, and dies to basically any significant shooting or melee attack. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, we've seen the armager spam lists do well here and there. Um, but that's probably not the way most knight players want to play. They want to play with knights. Br- bringing is... 12 dreadnoughts sort of defeats the points of playing knights. It's like, that's, you want big robots, not medium robots. Right. And that's totally fair, right? So, yeah, I agree. Knights t- t- kind of got left out in the cold a little bit. I think that they just need a re-engineering of the rule set. So a they lot can... of factions having ninth. It's hardly unique to them. That's a fair point. Um... You know, it's the knights are weird because it they've been this way forever. They either obliterate you or they get squished, and it's like yeah, that's just not fun. That's not good, good, good game design in my opinion. Like, 
it's cool to have big robots because anybody who's playing 40k should like big robots. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, like, why are you here? So like, robots. yeah, big robots and monsters and stuff like that's what we're here for, right? So they should they should be viable, they should be good, but they the, the rules need to to change in such a way that it's not such a lopsided encounter, you know. Um, and it's hard. It's like if you take an old tank army, it's the exact same situation. Like someone can deal with it or they can't, they get squished or you squish them. So it's a, it's a difficult, it's, it's a difficult question to resolve, but um, it's definitely one that's worth resolving because it makes more lists viable. All right. Uh, good stuff. Good conversation there. Now we've got patron Nathan, Nathan coming in. Um, he's actually got three questions, but they're kind of all lumped into one bigger question, which is basically this. What tier should we think about slotting our new plague Marine overlords into? Where tier is going to go? And then in turn, what do you guys think about some of the OP stuff like uh, Mortar and get four, getting four Warlord traits? Um, you, you know, the kind of change is just disgusting, resilient and all that. Where, where are Death Guard going to stand after this? They're, they're absolutely a, a tier one army. In fact, they have a couple of things that I think are going to need to get eroded very quickly. For anyone who has seen the ability to project a a 12-inch aura of half-movement on turn one, to just, like, fly an airplane into the enemy army and, and grind their whole force to a halt, I, I don't think that is going to be allowed to stick. But even if you remove that, I think they're a very powerful army. I uh, recently played a couple of games against the, the new uh, Death Guards, and I love them you know like they're just so flavorful to what death guard are supposed to be in like the lore and everything and they're really powerful so it's like a win-win you know you get to play with like some really cool rules and have like Morturn is an absolute tank i don't care what anybody says like he is mm-hmm. just going to be in like every death guard list but then again you know that's really cool to you know to kind of consider as a as a player who's seen Death Guard come and go in like the beginning of ninth edition, where it was like kind of cool, and then it like went into almost obscurity, you know, it's nice to to have them back. Uh, honestly, I think it's good that they're powerful. I think it's good that we have different armies that are not just, you know, Space Marines to play against. And I'm really happy about well, that. Hold on, are, are are you citing Death Guard as a not just Space yep. Marine yep. army? Yep, they're definitely not just Space Marines. I think that they're just their own flavor. They have power armor, but they're not. They're not anymore. They used to be at one point. They've they've moved that, past that point. Okay, <laughs> they're no longer it's Space their... Marines. Okay, that's uh, that's <laughs> sure. <laughs> as a Xenos player, no, they're Space Marines. <laughs> So, so here's something fun. Uh, this this episode is actually going to air um, sometime after February, sometime in, in late January, early February. I'm thinking probably the 29th or the 30th, um, or possibly even the week after that. So by that point, we'll have had one big Australian major in the uprising, uh, and then we'll maybe had some smaller minor events happening throughout the world. Where do you put Death Guard at, uh, number-wise? And then we're going to look back on this, and the chat's going to make fun of us if we're right, or say absolutely no, no, I'm sorry, they're going to make fun of us if we're wrong, they're going to say absolutely nothing if we're right. What do you mean, number-wise? Number, like, uh, tier three, like, uh, top three factions right now are, like, Harlequin, Space Marines, Chaos, or, or whatever, right? Where are they in, in terms of the top five? 
I think they're absolutely in the top yep, five. I would agree. Absolutely in the top. I don't think there are enough events to say whether they're one, two, three, four, or five, but uh, they're absolutely up there. Absolutely up there. I'm going to put them. I, I think they're going to take the place, uh, the place of chaos. I think they're going to be probably number three. I think we're going to see Harlequin, Space Marines, and Death Guard, and then everyone else. But we'll see. All right, Reese, do you have anything else to add to that? I just thought it was comedy gold when I saw quote-unquote Death Guard experts just crying. Oh, we oh, got God. nerfed. I was like, can you read? This book yeah. is amazing. Yep. <laughs> Everyone was Feel no pain. About... Yeah. <laughs> it's like, the... there's more in the book than the one rule, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. th- Those are the players well, who only roll five ups. Also, minus one damage is so such a good rule. Good. Oh, but Sean, Sean, for two full editions. Sean, take take your wave serpent and fly it right out of ration land. All right. Right. We all right. know that they were going to get two wounds and feel no pain. Therefore, it's a nerf. Yeah. What? What? I've, I've had so many people say this to me, and I'm like, what planet are you living on that didn't happen? And, and <laughs> even if even if they were two wounds with that five up feel no pain, still, I think that's usually worse than minus one damage. It's just, but the, I mean, I, the, the math aside, right? Like, yeah. how can you be upset about an imagined nerf? Like, yeah. Yeah. like, they took this thing away from us that we never had. Right? <laughs> what? That just goes to show yeah. that complaining is actually half of the Games Workshop audience. <laughs> Yeah, yep, absolutely. It's you know I'll I'll offer to let any Death Guard players like you know if you want to go back down to one wound and the old <laughs> disgustingly resilient you know what I am a gentleman I'll let you. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Enjoy, sir. All right. <laughs> Patron Shay wants to know. Uh, so post FAQ, do you guys see vehicles potentially seeing more play on the table as they will bleed fewer secondary points? Um, also, he wants to know about the Canoptic Reanimator um, being useful at eighty points. Uh, or not, um, or should put it back on the shelf. Uh, I'll answer the Necron question real quick. I think you should probably dust off the Canoptic Reanimator about once a year for your Silver Tide Necron I list. say it really depends it's... on if you can hide it or not. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. If you're playing in like something that has good amount of obscuring terrain and whatnot, and you can like physically hide it and things like that, th- it's not terrible. You know what I mean? Like being able to... Mm-hmm. Being able to, you know, br- like help your warriors and stuff come back, like that's a, it's a very strong mechanic. What, what's really tough to swallow is when you go, you know, and you like you can't you can't hide it and it just dies. Like that's that's yeah, the, you get that's the thing that really kills the reanimator. So the thing about the reanimator also is that the golden standard for and we're talking about specifically for competitive play for for non tournament play, bring whatever you want. Who yeah. cares? Right, have fun. But for competitive play, the golden standard right now for people is can you kill a block of 20 warriors in one go? You're looking at everything. Everyone's bringing something that can do that. Lightning Claw Vanguard veterans, Terminators, Sisters and all their shooting, Harlequin. Everyone wants to kill 20 Necron warriors in one shooting phase. It's not possible for every army, um, which is frustrating. When you lose one warrior squad immediately and you're really only bringing like three at the most in a competitive list you really start to lose some you know everything that can buff warriors really starts to fall apart 
right? Because you're going to want to veil one of them, right? One of them's going to want to maybe stay in a ghost arc and not necessarily, you know, act like a dynamic middle of the board holder, right? Then on top of that, they've got the Ghost Reapers, so they're they're they have to move and be within that twelve inches. So the reanimator is constantly following them, trying to keep up with them, getting put in really bad positions, overextending. And if you're Novak, you have to charge warriors. The reanimator isn't going to start charging into things. It's it's just it's such an awkward model to use and make well. If twenty four inch gun warriors were were good and they could shoot really well, then I could see it being a better option. Yeah, it's 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 middling, but it's something you can at least think about now. Before it was complete garbage, now it is something that is like it's gonna have a niche place in lists, but it is potentially usable. You have to you have to build around. Anyways, back yeah. to the real quite the real important meat of this question. Um, are we gonna start seeing more vehicles now? The problem with vehicles is a little bit two part. Um, obviously, bleeding secondaries was relevant to that and it will certainly help some of the lists like the the orc buggies list is going to get significantly better with that change uh, but the other half of that is actually that like most vehicles deal very poorly with melee which is a huge part of the game now um, because you don't want to roll your predator up onto a midfield objective uh, it's either going to get trapped in combat or it's going to get killed um, so I don't think you're going to see a ton of vehicle-heavy lists just, like, spilling out of every faction, uh, but there will be a few of them that have the capacity to deal with melee in some way or another. I I agree. I think you're going to see a lot of uh, smaller vehicles, but the truth of the matter is, you know, like, Eradicator still exists. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. you're, you're going to see vehicles. You're not going to give as many points up if you run vehicles. But there's still lots of options out there that make vehicles very dead. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's really going to change too much. I mean, you, it, it depends on what you're trying to do, right? Like, when I play my guard, I always take as many tank commanders as I possibly can. Um, <laughs> but then guard have the, the the other part of that equation. They have um, ways to screen and, and block off the tanks. So it's... And also not a lot of other good options to take for their heavy shooting. That's a very good part of that equation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying guard are very good. But sure, I yeah. Do... No, the the tank commander is certainly a thing you will see in guard lists. Yeah, that's pretty much... Bolgren and tank commanders is pretty much the whole army right now. Yeah. But um, you can make vehicles work. It just, like always... Like, in the history of 40k, vehicles have always been hot or cold just it's never been anything in between either have the core rules that benefit you like in fifth edition was the vehicle edition it's also the fastest edition so there's a lot to like about vehicles being good because there's less models on the table Um, and transports are really cheap but when you take that away and the bad the bad touch and all this other stuff um it just it makes them really really risky and because of the fact that vehicle or that weapons do so much damage now and tanks tend to not have an invul save. Um, they can get one shot really easy. So it, you, just like always when the core rules are against you as a vehicle, you need some sort of a shtick, like a serpent shield or, you know, some kind of hyper durability or hyper offense or be really cheap. Um, otherwise, you're just you're, you're swimming upstream. Um, okay, so <clears throat> next question. Jace, patron Jason wants to know, how does everyone feel about the changes to the troop slot in the Death Guard Codex? Would you like to see this mechanic spread across all Chaos Codexes? 
it's weird that GW thought they needed to nerf cultists again. I like it. I think I honestly think cultists should fill that role. Like if you're playing Death Guard, cultists are there, but they're not like the Death Guard, right? Like Poxwalkers, yeah, Death Guard for sure. And I kind of like how they did it. They're like, you can take cultists. They're cheap. They have guns. They're not upset though. It actually makes a big difference. And I feel like a lot of the stuff that GW is kind of like encouraging us to do in the game is it could be considered a little arbitrary being like, we want you to play the army this way. But at the same time, in a lot of ways, you know, that's good, I think. But, you know, I like the troop choices. You know, maybe in Thousand Suns, it'll be more like, you know, Zangors are obsec and cultists are not, you know. And then in regular, like, Chaos Space Marines, it's like, cultists are obsec, you know. So, who knows? It'll give some different flavor to the different styles of lists that we see. Yeah. All yeah, right. If they, if they change it up like that, I would be okay with it. Uh, I don't I don't love the fact that they they just want to, like, deny cultists every single rule in the book, though. All right. Uh, next question comes from Patron Derek. What are some of everyone's pre-game rituals or superstitions? One of mine is I keep my dice in a box of salt before events to get all the bad mojo off them. Salt dice. Uh, asking my opponent can concede? Mm, that's a good one. Uh, it wins me some games. Not many, but, you know, when it works, it works. I keep my dice in my back pocket. Literally. And everybody calls them my butt <laughs> dice. Because I pull them out of my butt and I roll them. And they roll really hot sometimes. And everybody's like, damn butt dice, Scary. I'm like, yep, yep, that is right. Now you know. My first game, I always drop models. Like, there, you could lay out a 20 foot by 20 foot table next to my board game, or my game, that's only reserved to me and my army. And I would drop a model somehow. I'd figure it out. Does that help you win? Never. Okay. (laughs) I usually lose my first game too, but it's it's almost always like, like I get to the tournament, all my models are assembled, pretty glued together. Not usually pretty, but they're glued together. (laughs) And then uh, one model breaks. It's usually like a like a a model like I'm proud of too. Um, I'd say you get to the tournament with all of your models put together. You're doing better than me. That's fair. Uh, Reese, sacrifice a virgin to the dark gods. Yeah, that sounds about right. Are you sure that's you? Is that Riccio? Oh, uh, <laughs> r- yeah, that's Riccio. <laughs> Whoa, whoops. <laughs> All right. No, what I do is add another thing I'm going to do to screw Tau to Ooh. my list. Oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. oh that's also Riccio, pardon it. me. I knew it. He's, uh, he's having quite the no, influence that's both on of them. now, isn't he? <laughs> Um, okay, uh, next question comes from Kelsey. How do you keep track of your game score, uh, pen, paper, dice, apps? Cause actually, I, I'm a big fan of using pen and paper. Like, 100%. Pen and paper, all the time. Uh, I find, yeah, I use the app. The app is quite good, like the Battles app. Um, which is, but I find that it helps me, f- like, keep track of the points by physically writing numbers down on a piece of paper. And I tend to have a much better control of the game when I'm actively participating and taking like taking control of like that aspect of my own scoring and stuff like that. I had been using uh, not actually pen and paper. I had a uh, a, a dry erase uh, 
thing that I, I got from one of the tournaments that was extremely cool. But I've kind of been transitioning over to the app uh, just because I find that it has gotten to the point where like it does everything I want it to. Uh, so that it's actually become very convenient for me, and, and I don't mind the digital format. I just write a 90 on a piece of paper, <laughs> and then stare right. at my opponent. I forgot opponent. about that clause in the ITC rules. <laughs> yep, and I just stare at them, daring but, them to but say But only 90 because it. you didn't, you never painted your army, huh? That's, that's kind of weird. Well, just writing down 100 is like, that's just being a little bit that's much, true. you know? That's true, that's <laughs> true. A 90? Yeah, that's reasonable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It, uh, the, that's actually a very, another very interesting point, right? The, the, I, I, I think being redundant also helps out a lot too, right? So if you and your opponent are both keeping track of it, and then yes. you on top of that you have it in the Battles app, I think that's probably ideal. Um, I like pen and paper specifically because I like to write notes on on my paper. Like my my score sheet is is just a complete chicken scratch mess. Like I've got my one square where we're we're keeping track of the points and then just writing and command points and notes and like you messed up here and just like a remember to shoot Calgary, just a bunch of random stuff. (laughs) I like the idea that Pablo is writing like notes from his mom. It's just like, we know you can do it, Pablo. Have a good day in school. (laughs) You you laugh, but that works. (laughs) I'm I'm not saying it doesn't work. I just think it's funny to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, go have fun killing those Xenos. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, Patron Paul wants to know how was Charity Hammer? Char- Charity Hammer went really, really well. For those of you who don't know, uh, I did uh, vo- I did Shoutcast for one game during Charity Hammer on Saturday. Wanted to do more. Unfortunately, it wasn't in the cards. Uh, but as of the end of that Shoutcasting, uh, we they had raised eleven thousand dollars, which was so so amazing. Um, you can still donate to Charity Hammer. Actually, this is February, so probably not. However, you can still sign up for Charity Hammer. Go check out Best in Faction podcast. Bifcod. They're going to do one later on in the year as well too. Um, it was absolutely an amazing stream. And then also go to Twitch and just watch all those videos. Uh, there were some really great games played, some really top-level competitive play. It was a lot of fun. Um, all right, Patron Nick wants to know, how do you best learn and prepare with Terrain for 9th Edition as someone that is currently limited for gameplay options? So, trip, train for what? Terrain? Uh, ter- uh, how do you best learn and prepare with Terrain for 9th Edition? So I think they're talking about... Uh, you like um because you, if you're playing games you don't get access to terrain that that is necessarily tournament terrain right so the first thing i would do is maybe go to the i go to frontlinegaming.org and buy some itc terrain mdf itc terrain uh and then just assemble that and play with that on your table i think home. one of the biggest things to do is understand what the different pieces of terrain do so take some time to just learn what the terrain does and then also find yourself a set of terrain that mimics the style of terrain in your local area or a tournament that you want to go to. I'm sure you can find pictures out there of what the terrain looks like. And then sort of try and mimic that as well as you can. You know, get the sets from the distributor. Like we're going to the, or we're, you know, Team Canada is practicing to go to the WTC, you know, with the pandemic depending and whatnot. But we ordered the WTC sets from the organizers of the WTC. 
because we know that's the terrain that's going to be used and that's literally the terrain sets and the different um like board setups and everything are done with that terrain set in mind so we need to practice with the terrain from the event and uh you know and that's it worst comes to worst just play on a blank table and uh, with a couple of craters and then say that's you know that's how i plant the terrain to be yeah terrain standardization is probably unless gw literally gives tournaments everything they need and then they build it correctly and you know all that stuff terrain standardization is probably not a, a viable goal so each event's kind of be probably a little different in that regard all right patron jason wants to know how far do you go to hold your opponent to WYSIWYG models in a tournament i realize this answer may vary depending on stakes um Generally, uh, for me personally, Jason, whether I'm 6-0 or 0-6, um, I'm actually very lenient when it comes to WYSIWYG, uh, as long as the you follow the rule of cool, um, and I'm not confused. So rule of cool being, basically the rule of cool trumps all. So if you, if you have a cool looking model and you say like, oh, this this sexy, you know, Eldar chick is actually Gimmin because, I don't know, whatever, you've got some funny reason why Eldar an Eldar chick would be Gimmin. I don't know, whatever. That's fine. I'm actually really cool with that, uh, especially if it's painted well. It looks nice. If uh, if you're acting as a an ambassador to the game and you're being a good sport, you can do anything you want. Like really, like I don't care. Now, uh, WYSIWYG, there there's a line, and I think all three of us, all four of us, can agree on that. Uh, there's a line between trying to gain a competitive edge and laziness, and rule of cool WYSIWYG, and I th I think that's where where I draw it. Um, I've seen WYSIWYG be sort of like weaponized um, at like competitive level, being like, hey, those are not real obliterators. Get them off the table. You know, that sort of thing. And I'll tell you right now, that's like, that's just a line that I just wouldn't cross. Even at like the highest level at WTC, like the World Team Championships, like you calling somebody out for like WYSIWYG is like bad form. Like, you can tell someone to get their models off the table, but you'll get a yellow card. Like, has it happened? Sure. But, like, it, the whole point is, don't be, a, don't be a jerk. Like, don't, like, you can draw a line. If it's super confusing and the opponent's like, this heavy bolter is a multi-mile time. This heavy bolter is a last cannon. And this last cannon is a plasma cannon. You know, like, and they're just being really, like, confusing about it. You could just be like, hey, just run them as the weapons that they are. You know, don't don't be, like... You know, you can come to a compromise, I would I would suggest, personally. So my plan to run all LAS cannons, pay the points for heavy bolters, and then when I play Skari, oh, I guess they're all LAS cannons, thanks for the extra 200 points. And I'll be points. like, sure, I'll still kick the shit out of you, buddy. <laughs> but right now, you probably yeah, would. would. <laughs> my 10-point Reaver Jet Bike, say thank you. <laughs> The, I mean, the thing the thing with WYSIWYG, though, is, like, it, that's such a gray area. It's almost impossible to, to define it. But, like, Skari was saying, like, don't be a dick and call somebody out. Well, don't be a dick and bring bullshit models to the event, right? If somebody took vacation time, time away from their family, spent the money to go to the event, get a hotel, all this stuff, and you have some shit army, that's being that's being rude to everyone else that you play against in my opinion. Right. So like for us, the way we do it uh, with, from a rules perspective is the rule of cool. It takes precedent. And then obviously that's, 
it's like the Supreme Court trying to define pornography, right? Like I can't define it, but I know it when I look at it. It's the same sort of general idea in regards to if you have a theme, even if it's poorly executed, right? Like my army is themed after a World War One British brigade, right? Whatever. And you're using World War One or uh, tanks as substitutes for Lehman Russes. It, that that's like someone made a real effort to do something cool and artistic, right? But to like what Pablo said, where someone's just being lazy and they're like, uh, all my las guns that are painted blue are actually plasma guns. We don't allow that, right? It's like, no, man, that's a that's a blue las gun. Or if somebody's like, oh, my missile launcher is actually a las cannon. We don't allow that either. Um, it's unfair to your opponent. It's confusing. And it's you being being either cheap or lazy, or you change your list at the last minute. And I will say, which, I will know, say that most, like, events, like most respectable events in that sense, have, like, WYSIWYG policies built in to, like, if you want to go to this event or whatever, like, there is a specific set of standards that you sort of need to adhere to. Right? right. Yeah. Right. And they're, they're there to provide a, a guideline so that people don't feel like the, the impetus is on them to try and regulate what their opponent is bringing, right? Because what we have found is that especially high-level competitive players, which is hilarious because they're constantly changing their list. I do understand why. Like, they will sink to the to the bare minimum of what is required. Like, without question, right? So there was a point when we were trying to grow everything and we were more lax and people were just putting crap on the table. And we realized really quickly that while in our zeal to grow rapidly, that we were hurting ourselves in the long term, And that's when we tighten things up big time because when people are just putting shit on the table and trying to go to a premier event, it makes the event look like shit. And to their credit, almost all of the competitive players delivered to, to be fair across the board community has pretty much accepted it. And armies generally look a lot better than they did three or four years ago. And if, if you, if you disagree with me, I have several tens of, of pictures from my past LVO, SoCal open BAOs and other events that say otherwise. So I just want to say that real quick. Kudos. Yeah. You have to enforce a high standard. Otherwise players will bring the minimum. And to illustrate that point decisively, just look at a war machine tournament. Well, they don't even really exist anymore, sadly, but just go to a War Machine tournament in the old days. Like, play like you got a pair and bring bare metal with Cheeto stained, no unpainted flat terrain. It looks like crap, right? And that, so like you have to elevate the standard. Um, and like we always tell people, for RTTs, let your hair down, be more relaxed if, if you want to. For practice games, do whatever the hell you want. But if you want your event to be prestigious and you want it to be more fun and more inviting for more people, you have to maintain a high hobby, hobby standard. Absolutely. All right. Uh, next patron question comes from uh, Gordy. Uh, I play the Song of Ice and Fire tabletop miniatures game decently competitively along with 40k. For a Song of Ice and Fire, main stats collector uses ELO ratings. Is ELO rating something that could be or should be applied to 40k factions or players? That's a tough one. The, the, the ELO again, is, I'm sorry. Uh, ba basically, should we, should we uh, add ELO to uh, 40k factions and players in the ITC? ELO has ups and downs, right? Like, uh, the, the math is brilliant behind ELO rankings. But 
the problem with ELO rankings is that the only way to rise up is to beat people that are better than you. And the only way to go down is to lose to people that are worse than you on the rankings. So it encourages, it, it discourages top level players from playing each other unless you're the underdog, right? So that ELO, we, we debated that forever. And I think it makes more sense for like a lifetime score, a modified ELO system. But if you do, if you apply it to 40K, you get the same problems you have in the chess community um, where you're disincentivized. Once you rise up, you're disincentivized from playing, right? Then you have to add in other rules that like, if you don't play X number of times in a given period of time, your score starts dropping, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, eh, I, like it, it could be fun to have as like a reflection of lifetime skill, in my opinion, but perhaps not on a season by season basis. Yeah, there's a whole there's a whole actually philosophy not not just in chess but uh, in gaming in general around Elo, um, and it's actually one of those like kind of age old gaming arguments. Um, I don't I don't want we could actually honestly talk about it for an entire podcast, so I don't want to get too much into it. But uh, Sean and Scary, what do you think? I would love e- like an Elo style thing as that whole like you know over the course of your life and whatnot. And I don't know. I think that would just be like the next level. Is it like manageable right now? I don't think it's really realistic, it, you know, at the moment. But I, on it, I think it would be really, really, really cool. Personally, just saying. Yeah, it's 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 a cute idea, but I don't. It's not a replacement for ITC rankings, and it's not something that I personally care all that much about seeing implemented right now. All right. Uh, what is your uh, patron Tim wants to know? What is your most embarrassing hobby or podcast memory, and why? Um, I sprayed super glue into my eye when I was building an old school rhino when I was younger, and oh, then man. I had to go to the hospital and sit there, and oh. they were like, "What happened to your eye?" I'm a nerd. <laughs> I almost cut off my thumb, and then I bandaged it up, and then I almost cut off my other thumb the same way, and that was when I decided, like, maybe I'm done with this for the evening. Um, let me see, for me, uh, we were on a trip to a tournament, and um, back in the old days when we were younger and broke, we would put, like, ten guys in a hotel room. I don't recommend that, it's not worth it. Um, (laughs) And one time I came out of the shower, and I didn't realize the door was open, and uh, that was for the infamous line, oh my god, he's naked, <laughs> comes from on our team. So that was uh, that was the most embarrassing moment for me. Oh man, um, I have, I've had a multiple amount of embarrassing moments. Um, one I haven't mentioned on the podcast yet is uh, a couple of years ago, I went to uh, an RTT out in San Diego. And we sat down, or no, we didn't sit down, we, you know, we... I showed up with my with my opponent. We started talking about the armies, did the stuff. I laid my army down in its uh, FLG carrying case, uh, display case on the chair next to me. And then I, after like five minutes of talking and about the missions and stuff, sat on my army, oh, no. realized oh. what I did, stood back up quickly, looked at my army. It was actually relatively unbroken. And I was like, ooh. And then as soon as I did that, my opponent looked at me and my army fell off the chair, it flipped over end over end, and all my models got stuck. Oh my <laughs> it, it was hilarious. And then everyone around me, of course, was like, <gasps> and I was just like, oh, you know, like, 
it's it's the blue rainbow. It's just a bunch of ultramarines, and everyone's like, oh, okay. So, no, it's just ultramarines. No one cares if they break. So, um, yeah, sitting on your army and then knocking it down off a chair is probably one of my more embarrassing moments. All right, finally, last question. Uh, this is the best one of the evening. Patron Nathan wants to know, who is the worst character in 40k in your opponent? Just the most, in your opinion, just the most Mary Sue, Gary Stu character you cannot stand. Worst 40k character. Cato Sicarius. Lorgar. I hate Lorgar. Oh, I hate Lorgar. You're right. right. The star scream of the Primarchs. Everyone hates Lorgar. That's cheating. (laughs) That's fair. Even Lorgar hates Lorgar. (laughs) Cato Sicarius is up there. Yeah, he's such, he is the ray of 40k. Like, I'm just good. Ha ha ha. Like, wow, you're boring. Uh, the lead character of literally any Space Marine novel. Uriel Ventress is, he he gets better, but he's definitely, a, he's like Cato Sicarius is like twin. I want to say the Black mm-hmm. Templar Marshal in the, um, the like, the, uh, what is it, the... Um, the 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 last like the the end times for forty k book the full of Bielton, who's like, oh, hey, yeah. there's you know let's listen to this Inquisitor and go hang out with the Eldar, yay! I'm like you're a Black Templar. What the hell are you thinking? <laughs> oh, it's into the Space Marine video game. Hmm. Oh, that happens in the Space Marine video oh, game, too, it? where the Inquisitor shows Spoilers. up and he's got Black Templars. You're like, what? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, what is what is your most embarrassing hobby moment in the comments? Also, what characters do you hate? For those of you stuck around the longest, going to those YouTube comments or Frontline Game Dover comments and just say those respond to those questions, confuse all the people who left one hour into the, into the podcast. Um, and that is it. That is our episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to hear more from Skari and Sean, they'll go ahead and plug away right now. Sean, you can go ahead. Uh, we're still doing our 40k podcast. If you are looking for some additional content, uh, we got myself, Shaylin, and Ben all doing In the Finest Hour. Uh, and we're doing episodes on all the new factions and the new Ninth Edition rules. If you're still struggling to catch up with all that thanks to no events happening well i'm scary i'm one of the coaches for the arch of arch of war the art of war 40k so if you want to uh head on over to the art of war you know we're just it's awesome there's like chock-a-block stuff every week clinics and talking about factions and uh, if you want to get coached by one of the top players in the world, make sure you check us out and head on uh, head on over there to theartofwar40k.com and be best. And you can uh, find me on my OnlyFans <laughs> backslash Recio. Do you... Can, can you spell that for me, Recio? <laughs> uh, Asking for a friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. That's, uh... <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> uh, you can also find recent signals from the front line. Uh, along with other amazing podcasts on the Frontline Gaming Network. As always, I'm your host, Petey Bob. Thank you all so much for listening. You're the best listeners in the world. And as always, have a good one.